0: There really is a lack of representation in a lot of ways of um, disabled perspectives or people with alternative ways of interacting. Um, and one of those is this privilege bubble for a lack of a better term, but people don't know what they don't know and they assume that there aren't people with other needs out there. Hey everyone
1: and welcome to Work, the
0: podcast. It's the podcast
1: where we highlight diversity, equity and inclusion professionals and the work they're doing to help their fellow employees feel seen at work. I'm Natalia Eileen, and together with my team, I help businesses become more diverse, more equitable, and more inclusive. And I cannot wait to share with you a conversation I had with a fellow diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, Courtney Mullen. Courtney is actually a member of my team. She is one of our senior consultants at Scene at Work, and her background is in disability and accessibility. She helps organizations think about how they're considering accessibility within their workplaces. This conversation was a great one. We discussed the idea of universal design, how you can bring into fruition a more equitable and more accessible workplace, and therefore a more inclusive one. Now, without further ado, I'll let you listen in on this conversation I had with Courtney. Okay, we are joined today by Courtney Mullen, a colleague of mine at Work, and I'm so excited to have her on. Hi, Courtney.
0: Hi, Natalia. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Yes, uh, we have a lot to talk about, but I think the first thing we should jump right into is just who you are and what expertise the audience can expect to hear from you
0: okay so um as until said my name is courtney mullen i am a senior consultant at c C Network and had a little difficulty getting that out there. At C Network and a lot of my expertise is around workplace culture and primarily with a look to disability perspectives. So how can we make our workplaces the most inclusive, the most inviting, the most welcoming to people um, who have disabilities as well as everyone generally Um, And so I'm really excited to spend some time talking a little bit about some of those concepts today. Um, And we can jump right in.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I know a lot of your background is in accessibility and in disability advocacy. So I'm excited to have that content be front and center here today during this podcast episode. So tell me a little bit about this idea of accessibility and why we want to these conversations when we're talking about corporate spaces or workplaces generally?
0: Yes. So accessibility, I think, is actually something that is growing in popularity, especially since we saw um, President Biden issue the guidance on DEIA. And so when we're thinking about accessibility, um, there's a lot of different definitions that come up. It can be very compliance-oriented or very focused on a physical aspect of access, but I'm going to offer you a really short and sweet definition. It is how do we make sure that the most people are able to access our information, our um, resources that we have, that they are able to be able to benefit from or enjoy all that we have to offer in the way that is best for them. So when we're thinking about access, it's all about how are people able to engage with everything that is that is out there.
1: Yeah, and I think something you and I have spoken about in, in depth previously is just how inaccessible some spaces can be. Uh, can you just explain, because You know, sometimes with these topics, if you're not familiar, if you're not personally impacted by them, it can be difficult to even understand how these can be connected to us. But can you explain how some spaces or some experiences can be inaccessible just to paint that picture?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when we're thinking about spaces that are inaccessible... We may be thinking about ways in which people are not able to participate. People are unable to enjoy all of those resources or have a fair ability to interact. Um, So some examples that come to mind, I think most readily for most of us are in terms of physical access. So if we're thinking about stairs versus a ramp. Right, Not everyone is able to use STAIRS, whereas more people are able to use a RAMP. Um, Or we may be thinking about closed captioning. So for people who um, don't understand the language that's being spoken, or people who communicate um, in different ways, that closed captioning increases that access. And without that, we have inaccessibility, because not everyone is able to fully participate in whatever that action is. But we can also think about inaccessibility in terms of what resources we're cutting off or we're limiting to other people. So what resources are available to some based on the current processes or practices and what are those resources that other people are not getting? So we're thinking about it in much broader terms than those physical spaces that we just discussed.
1: Right, and I, I know that we're going to get into an initiative or an approach that can really help support the development of a more accessible workplace. Before we get into that, I think it might be helpful to even think about why some spaces might be inaccessible in the first place or what might be hindering a leader's ability or um, maybe motivation to, to get that those pieces into place. So I know we've, we've discussed this in depth previously, and I think it's important to lay it out here too. Why might a space be inaccessible in the first place? Or why might a leader not realize or not actually offer these kinds of, of accommodations or substitutions?
0: Yeah, so one of the biggest ways or one of the biggest reasons why spaces aren't inaccessible is because of this perceived lack of representation. So one is that there really is a lack of representation in a lot of ways of um, disabled perspectives or people with alternative ways of interacting. Um, and one of those is this privilege bubble for a lack of a better term. But people don't know what they don't know and they assume that there aren't people with other needs out there. It is difficult to have that open mindset or that growth mindset to understand that the processes in place can be changed or should be changed because it worked for you. And so to be able to think about those other um, perspectives that might be out there can can be difficult. And then also thinking about this lack of representation, so not thinking about other people, is because we've often, as societies, the stereotypes or the portrayals of that society gives us of people are that they are not in the room, particularly people with disabilities or people who interact with the world differently. We're seeing that they're not there, and so we just make this assumption that we don't need to be Change or to have it access or to think about things in a different way because there's not that many people or they're not there. When in fact, that is completely untrue. We know that 20% of the population identify as having some kind of disability. We know that people with disabilities are all around us. Um, I, as a member of the disability community, someone who has a disability, can tell you right now that we're here. We're all over. And so that lack of representation um, or lack of awareness, whether that be because of privilege or just because of society, I think is a huge barrier or a huge contribut- contributor to inaccessibility.
1: Right. And I think what's also inherent in that is this idea of the assumptions that might exist around what disability looks like or mm-hmm. what you know, I think the invisibility often of this as an identity is worth mentioning as well and how we can be really, really uh, writing a lot of people off and, and excluding a lot of people if we just have those narrow connections or assumptions made about disability. Is that fair to say?
0: I think that's absolutely fair to say. And I think that we're, we're given a very specific idea about what disability is. And so when someone deviates from that perception, then we are thrown off a little bit. And so we can think, and that comes in mind when we're thinking about what accessibility is too, right? We think of those very physical spaces rather than thinking more holistically. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that that's spot on.
1: And then there's some people who know that this is a thing and this is important, but maybe
0: it's it's easier said than done, Right. Yes. So we call that the knowing doing gap. So there is, um, Most people are not intentionally trying to discriminate or exclude anyone, right? There is a general sense. We know that from our DEI work generally that people don't want to be exclusive, but if they are aware of the different perspectives that may exist, or um, in this case, talking specifically about the disability community, we know that that might be the case, that we need to change things, we need to be accessible, but we don't know how. We and that we being the business community. So leaders maybe have this awareness of like, I've heard of accessibility. I've heard of these things that I need to change, but I just don't know the ways that I'm supposed to go and do it. And so that knowing, doing gap really becomes pretty prevalent,
1: yeah. well, so I want to get into because what might be swirling into people's heads right now, listeners of the podcast episode, is something like, no, I don't know what to do either. Or there must be so many different things that I can do. And sometimes that's what's overwhelming. So I'd love to get into talking about the topic that we were going to discuss today. I know there's a particular approach or framework that can be used in order to really increase that accessibility that we all want to, to increase within a workplace. Do you mind talking a little bit about it?
0: Yes. So the approach that I want to offer you is um, universal design, and so again, universal design is most often associated with the physical spaces. Right. So, mentioned that ramp, um, thinking about you know where people are able to physically exist in a place. Can they move around? Can they interact with their coworkers? all of those aspects go into universal design. and Actually, you're probably pretty familiar with the concept of universal design from an education perspective. We see that come up a lot with universal um, design and instruction or in learning. But I think that this is actually a really helpful framework in thinking about accessibility broadly. We've talked about this some. But if we can expand this idea of universal design, um, this framework, from just one that is about the physical spaces or designing for people to also encompass the processes or the practices in a workplace, I think there can be a lot of synergy or a lot of alignment with making an accessible and inclusive workplace overall.
1: And that makes a ton of sense because You know what i'm reflecting on is how we had just spoken about people's narrow sometimes definitions of what disability is or what it looks like or what accessibility needs might be even Mm -hmm. and expanding the idea of universal design was beyond physical does a lot of also expanding the idea of people having differing needs beyond physical right is that
0: I'm just seeing the connection here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can see that in a lot of our core tenants around inclusive leadership generally. So we know that interacting with coworkers may look different depending on who you're interacting with. We have different needs in terms of the ways that we receive our task list or even organize our tasks. All of those types of um, approaches or um, different ways of viewing the world are encompassed in this universal aspect. So if we can start to think of universal design in our workplaces overall, then we can start to embrace some of these Ideas, thinking about the principles of universal design specifically with equitable use and flexibility in use. Mm-hmm. I think if we can expand that to the other processes or things that exist in our workplace, that can be really helpful.
1: So, can you give us some examples of this? Because I can imagine that it can feel a little theoretical or, you know, very much like an approach. What does this look like tactically?
0: Yeah, so I think um, let's just start from the beginning. So, from the very beginning of an employee life cycle, what does that look like tactically? To- Uh, from a universal design. So one is just assuming that people are going to have different needs when they come into a space. And so asking what those access needs might be on a recruitment tool or a job application, not assuming that you're going to already know what someone needs, but you're going to ask and you're, you're going to be able to engage in that way. Um, I think another approach within that same realm is having a rubric to be much more equitable or a skills assessment. So, again, we're taking out some of those biases that might exist and really applying a more universal approach because we're giving more flexibility in how people show up in those spaces as they are applying for jobs or are being recruited. So I think when we're going for that universal design, we're really starting to encompass these other aspects within DEI broadly and really allowing for accessibility to come to the forefront.
1: And that universal piece speaks to the proactivity of it, right? Because you're not necessarily waiting for someone to send you an email after a recruitment event and say, I could not, you know, access the information for whatever reason. Can you please give me this through this accommodation? You're not waiting for that to happen. You are doing something earlier on
0: to make sure that no one is kind of left in the dust, right? Yes. So, and that goes that to that design piece. So it's not um, accommodate afterwards. It's not universal response to people, but it is that universal design. So thinking about all of those different perspectives or different ways that people might interact with us from the onset. So how is how do we design our spaces or our processes in a way from the very beginning to be able to uh, allow the most people to engage with us? So you give us
1: an example from the recruitment side Can you give us a few others? Maybe when people are in the middle of their careers or their experiences within their workplaces, where might you see this really coming into play?
0: Yeah, so some of the things I want to expand on, um, thinking about the, so it is a little physical. I know I've said maybe we want to um, expand from that, but I want to take it from the, just a disability perspective in terms of access, but also thinking about how we assume that people are going to have different um experiences or backgrounds within a workplace generally so one example that's coming to mind especially this time of year is prayer rooms or the um, ability to have um, express religion within the workplace. And so I think having those types of ideas from the very onset. So how do we assume that people are going to have those types of needs and come um, with that in mind and um, already having that in place? Um, another may be uh, having an ongoing conversation about working styles. Mm-hmm. And continuing to think about universally, how is it that we're showing up for everyone in a slightly different way so that we, we can be the best co and have the best interactions overall.
1: What I'm struck by is that some of these interventions that you're describing come a little bit at the policy or systemic level, right, mm-hmm. where we're talking about potentially incorporating a survey or some sort of information gathering place at the beginning of a process. And that's one element of it. And another version or element is within the way we lead our teams on a daily basis. So this um, working styles conversation is a good example of that. Are there any others for say individual people leaders who might be leading teams recognizing that while they may or may not have an understanding of exactly what every one of their employees needs, needs from them, they want to engage in this universal design. Do you have a series of suggestions for them?
0: Yes. So I think that being able to create a space for their psychological safety for people to bring up those conversations or those needs is a super important aspect of embracing universal design and creating an accessible workplace. So being able to have that conversation or making your people feel comfortable in having that conversation can go a long way. Another is knowing where to go to and having the resources available to you. So thinking through that you might have someone who has this request or someone who may need these other types of access requirements or request these access needs be met and just knowing where to go and taking that advocacy level on behalf of your people or in collaboration with your people can go a long way. So it's not just, having to know all that knowledge yourself, but knowing where you go. Is it that HR person? Is it somewhere online? But being at the ready to respond when they come up because you've proactively done the work already.
1: Yeah. And that psychological safety uh, sounds super important, right? Because it's one thing to say, Hey, let me know if you need anything. And it's another thing to actually create the space where people know that they can talk to their leader if they need anything. <laughs> uh, do you have any thoughts on specifically for the disability community, how you've seen leaders do a good job because there's also there's a stigma around this, right? And I, I don't want I want I don't want to speak for you. I'm just mm-hmm. uh, tell us more about this <laughs> stigma that sometimes makes it really hard for people to share these things.
0: Yes. So um, disability stigma in particular is something that is Um, at the root of a lot of ableism or if we're thinking about ways that people are othered. So the fact that we often see disability presented as something to be overcome or that you'll grow out of or that eventually you can just do it, right? Instead of thinking about maybe the social model of disability or how is it that we can use universal design to change the environments that we're in to better accommodate people because we're all different we all have different needs and particularly people with disabilities navigating the world differently and then we can make environments that make that easier and better um and so thinking about how do we how can leaders create a space that is psychologically safe i think one is um opening that conversation yourself um you know being transparent about where you're at or uh, your own um maybe relationship with disability can be really helpful. We've seen that be really um, impactful, particularly in regards to mental health and expressing stress levels or expressing other kinds of concerns, especially in this um, unprecedented times that we live in or continue to live in. Um, But then also just creating an option for people to share their access needs without actually having to disclose any kinds of additional details. So. Not making it dependent on, oh, you can only have this accommodation or have this thing that you need to be able to do your job. If you meet this qualification and show me all of your doctor's notes and let's have an in-depth conversation because you don't seem disabled or you don't seem like someone that I assume to be disabled. Mm -hmm. And so just making it much easier making the process known to everyone about what Mm -hmm. that looks like, what that means, and just being really proactive in um, the flexibility aspect to which you can control, right? That flexibility piece is huge.
1: Right, and I appreciate that while we were just really discussing the unique impact that disability stigma has on those who are, are disabled or who may identify as Um, having something that is impacting the way they're navigating this world. Um, I think it's important what you mentioned, which is that this is for everyone, right? That everyone benefits, that everyone is different. And I think that's worth emphasizing.
0: Yes. So we know that um, research tells us that like people with disabilities, yes, use accommodations, more than people without disabilities, but that doesn't mean that not everyone doesn't use an accommodation or doesn't engage in that or can't benefit from. We know that when accommodations are provided or when we use a universal design approach and that um, spaces are created with accessibility in mind, that there's actually a ripple effect and that people are more positive at work, they're more productive. And that's for both people with disabilities as well as employees without disabilities. So there really is this universal benefit to having a universal design in mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's really helpful for people to keep in mind. And I imagine as people are considering integrating some elements of universal design into their leadership or into how they support their employees generally, I I imagine there's some challenges that are worth raising that they might encounter through that process. Do you mind talking a little bit about what those could be?
0: So I think one that is really prevalent um, within the disability community overall is competing access needs. So um, I'll tell you a a really short story. So one uh, that becomes really salient in in a space that I've helped navigate. So in coordinating a stakeholder group for disability advocates, we saw that some people had low vision and needed really bright lights overall, they needed to have the room be really brightly lit so that they could read what was presented. Um, But on the flip side, we also had people who were triggered by the bright lights and had migraines. Mm -hmm. And so we saw that we weren't able to have that meeting in the same space. And so the fix for that is being creative and being flexible. So we just had two separate rooms, set up a video conferencing, and it was fine. But these competing access needs or competing ways in which people work or the ways that people show up means that we have to be more flexible and more creative and more open-minded as we are creating a space that is as universally accessible as possible.
1: Hmm what I can't help but think while you're sharing that story, which thank you for sharing it because it really makes it, uh, it's a good example of that particular challenge. I think what might be another challenge for people as they're hearing that is like, oh, this sounds like it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot to think about here. And I imagine you're used to hearing that. So what do you usually say or how do you approach that kind of perspective.
0: (laughs) No, that is definitely something that comes up because there are, because we all have different abilities. We all have different needs. It is nearly impossible to create a place or a workspace that truly meets the needs of everyone. And so one is just try your best but really embrace this universal design approach of being proactive. So, thinking through all of these different scenarios and being aware of what perspectives you may be missing or maybe more represented than others, and just really thinking through what that might look like. Um, also, just acknowledging that while it might be difficult, that's okay, but that's not an excuse to not do it. And so, we can acknowledge that but then we still want to move forward in what we can do.
1: I like how you have been describing this as ideally creating a space that is accessible for most people, recognizing that we're, we're ideally doing this for everyone and that everyone gets that opportunity to access all of those resources and information and fill in the blank, uh, but that the goal is almost to incrementally get better, and to recognize that we're on a journey. Is right? At least yeah. that's how I I interpreted what you said when you mentioned yeah. that.
0: We are on a journey and recognizing that identities are fluid, especially disability identities are fluid, um, Mm -hmm. that experiences evolve over time. And so while we want to be accessible to everyone, know that sometimes needs change or environments change, Um, we're all extremely familiar with how an environment can change overnight and so being responsive to that and so that's why I go back I keep talking about flexibility because I think that that really comes in um as a cornerstone when thinking about um how to do this
1: yeah and I guess what also comes to mind for me as you talk about this fluidity is that not everybody knows what they need too right Mm -hmm. or or what what works best for them so that could be another challenge in this where if you're Relying on people to tell you they might not know.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a huge, um, especially if we're thinking about intersectionality and who yeah. has had the support to really think through what they need or mm-hmm. advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. Being an advocate for yourself is a set of skills that not everyone gets taught, right? And where it gets taught in a different way. And maybe it is more beneficial at certain stages in life. Um, but really yeah absolutely being able to have go on that journey with your person or with the person on your team or those around you can be a really um, great opportunity for leaders as well. Well we talked about
1: a few different challenges but I don't know if you had a few others that you had thought through as we were discussing this as our topic for today? Because I I can imagine there are probably a lot of different ones that are worth calling out. Were there any others on your mind?
0: Yeah, I think I wanted to go back to this idea of um, stigma a little bit as a challenge, because um, as you were talking about, you know, the, the a lot of the ways in which we suggest universal design or accessibility be implemented is by asking people what they need Mm -hmm. but it can be really difficult to um say what you need or because you don't know know it like we just suggested but then or just talked about but also um because of feeling like a burden so this is something that comes up really often in the disability community or in research around the disability community is this source of um feeling responsible for having to do things independently because you don't want to be a burden to everyone else. And the stigma that's associated with it of like feeling like you don't want to get something special or be treated differently. Um, but that's really um, something that I think leaders can help. Um, better combat or to create a space where that stigma is lessened or mitigated because it's so prevalent in society. I think that leaders um, can't erase it completely, but they can take steps to make sure that their workplaces or the environments where their employees are, are at can be minimized. The stigma can be minimized in those places through psychological safety, through inviting conversations, what have you. Mm
1: hmm well i think you've given us a ton to think about on this front around accessibility around the use of universal design the expansion of that term and the approach i think so what we always like to do is end with some advice and i imagine people trying to integrate some of what we talked about today would appreciate some advice but feel free to share across the board to whomever you'd like whether it's diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners, advocates, or people who care deeply about this and do it on the side, uh,
0: what advice do you have? Okay. So there's so many things. Like my brain just went, like, oh my gosh, what what can I say? So one is um, to be committed and to be intentional. Um, I think that as we were talking about, this can feel really overwhelming or it can feel like no matter what I do, I won't get it right. But if you continually try and show up and show that intention, then you can go um, and really advance your universal design and accessibility approaches. Um, Another uh, way I would um, suggest is knowing what experts are out there. There are a ton of resources, whether that's us at CNET Work whether that's just doing some Googling, but really finding those advocates within the disability community to turn to, to ask those questions. Um, And then finally having the conversations. If you start by having an open and frank conversation, um, maybe it's with a disability-based ERG, Maybe it's starting a disability-based Drg or being finding people who have these lived experiences that you can draw on and that you can um, utilize. You know, you talked about a survey. Maybe it's sending that out of like what would make this workplace better for you? How could you show up in a more productive way? Or would you feel that you have more access to what you need to be able to do your job? What could we do? Just having that open conversation in a way that is um, safe for people um, is probably the best place to start and really seeking out um, people who are experts on their on their own lived experiences. Yeah. All right.
1: Well, thank you so much, Courtney, for giving everyone so much to think about. And um, I'm really hopeful that all that we've talked about specifically around universal design and how to at least be, be really open to the possibility and the likelihood there are a lot of people who could benefit from this within people's workplaces. Um, yeah, thank you for, for bringing that up for us and for our audience.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to be able to be here and to talk with you all. And hopefully we will get to do this again. We'll see.